0: This student ministry podcast is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2009 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Pastor Skelly serves as the senior pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message is a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. I want you to look at First Samuel chapter 19. Matter of fact, let's go back one chapter. To chapter 18, because I think this would be a good introduction. Uh, of course, you know that uh, who killed Goliath? David. And who was the king of Israel at that point? Saul. And was Saul happy that David killed Goliath? Yes, he was. But uh, eventually, was he happy about it eventually? No. Why? He was jealous, okay? That's the point. Okay, It's amazing that here God had wrought a great victory that was beneficial for everybody, including Saul. And Saul responded carnally and got jealous. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Unfortunately, there are going to be people in the circle of your life, people that are in the sphere of your life that are going to respond improperly to the decisions that you've made. There are going to be people that are jealous, There are going to be people that that are going to try to do everything they can to undermine the decisions that you've made. And that's what Saul did. And he did that for two reasons. He did that, uh, number one, because he was angry. He was angry that David was now getting attention. David was now getting the blessings that he felt that he deserved. So he was angry. And then, number two, he was afraid. Now, I want you to think about that. Saul was Head and shoulders above everybody in the, in the country. Saul was the king. Saul had been anointed of God. And yet the Bible says that Saul was afraid of David. Okay, notice these two things. Look at verse 8. Look at Saul's anger. The Bible says, and Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. The women were singing the song. David slew his, has slain his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, and he was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. See, anger causes us to be displeased with people. Uh, now, the anger was irrational, but he was displeased. He, he, he began not to like David, and so anger caused displeasure. Then the Bible says, Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. Here it is. And what can he have more but the kingdom? I want you to think about this for a moment. Saul was, Saul, he's angry now. And his anger is causing him to think in weird ways. He says, hey, what, what, What's going on? These women over here are telling people that David killed 10,000 people, he killed one guy. These women were exaggerating. Guys, that's what women do. They exaggerate. all right? they're exagger- and, and Saul's saying, listen, they're, they're saying this now, and I know what David's going to do now. The only thing left for him to have is the kingdom. I know what David's trying to do. He's trying to plot and get my kingdom. But wait a minute. Nothing could have been further from the truth. David was Saul's best worker. And yet what anger does is anger causes us to become Deluded so not only do we see his displeasure, we see the fact that he was delusional. I know what David's trying to do. He's, I know why he's making all these good decisions. I know why he's serving God. He's just trying to get something out of it. Delusional. You realize that some people will, will respond to your cat decisions delusionally? You'll come back home and they'll say, yeah. They're just trying, they're just trying to be popular by doing the spiritual thing. And they'll, they'll make up all kinds of reasons why you've made the decisions that you've made. And yet, I'm here this morning to tell you, I believe you. And so anger can cause displeasure. Anger can cause delusion. But then notice verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Matter of fact, if you'll look at verses 10 and 11 in your own time, you'll find out that there were two times when David was in the room playing the harp for Saul. And Saul took his javelin and threw it at David. He tried to kill David. You know why? Because anger is not only causing displeasure and not only causing delusion, but anger is causing him to be destructive And Saul wanted to kill David. Listen, there are people that will try to assassinate you when you go back from camp. Not physically, but they'll try to assassinate your character. They'll try to assassinate your decisions. They'll try to assassinate you spiritually. And you just can't allow angry people to distract you or detour you from serving God. Sometimes the angry people are your own parents. Sometimes it's a brother or sister. Sometimes it's a friend that didn't make it to camp. Sometimes it's the rebellious crowd. It could be any number of people, but don't allow someone else's anger because of their own uh, non-walk with God to cause you to be distracted. And so not only is Saul angry, but number two, Saul is afraid. Look at verse uh, 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 11, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. That's amazing. Saul was ruled by fear. He was ruled by this jealous fear. I'm fearing that David's going to be better than I am, or David's going to be higher than I am, or David's going to be more popular than I am. I'm afraid of that. And by the way, if fear rules your heart, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If you're the kind of person that's afraid that someone else is going to be more popular than you, or you're afraid that someone else is going to get more attention than you, or you're afraid, listen, that's your own problem. So what does fear do? Well, first of all, fear separates. When you have a petty, jealous, fearful spirit, that will separate friendships. You know what causes friendships to break up when one friend fears that he's not getting as much out of the relationship as another one, or he fears he's not uh, as popular as the other one, and so fear will separate. Not only that, a fear will scheme. I'm not going to take time to go through the entire chapter, but Saul basically came up with a scheme. I'm going to find a way to kill David. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give my oldest daughter, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. I'm going to give my oldest daughter, Michael, to whoever can. I'm going to give her to David. And David doesn't come from a rich family. And, uh, And back in those days, you had to pay a dowry. You had to pay a fee if you're going to marry a certain woman. This is the king's daughter. And so Saul said, okay, I know you can't afford her, but if you'll go out and kill 100 Philistines, then I will give her to you. Now, Saul wasn't ever intending to give his daughter to David. He was intending to have David get killed. And he's thinking, you know what? David's a mighty warrior, but if I send him out against 100 Philistines, he'll die. And so what's Saul doing? He's scheming. He's trying to find a way to kill David. Well, what does David do? He goes out and kills 200 Philistines and marries Saul's daughter. And that brings us all the way back down to the end of chapter 18. Look at verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. And so what does fear do? Fear will separate. What does fear do? Fear will scheme. What does fear do? Fear will eventually spiral. And if that's the way you live your life, it'll become worse and worse and worse and worse. And it went from throwing a javelin every now and then to, I hate David. I can't stand him. I don't want to see him around. Uh, I am his continual enemy. And I promise you that if you take your stand for Jesus Christ, you go home from camp. Listen, I promise you this. Promise you There will be some people that will eye you, they will look at you, and they will become your continual enemy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not might, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. Beloved, think it not strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I'm just telling you, you are going to have people that will hate your guts when you go home from camp. All right, now, what can you do to countermand that? What can you do as a teenager when you go home from camp to make sure that you're going to bond with some friend, that you're going to stick up for some friend, that you're going to be the right kind of friend so that your decisions have a much better chance of, of being long lasting. Well, we see that in chapter 19. Let me give you just some principles here quickly and we'll be done for this morning. Look at chapter 19 and verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. All right, stop for a moment. You know, it's interesting. When somebody doesn't like somebody, they always try to get other people on their side. Okay, when somebody has it out for you, they know that 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 emotion and that that attitude is wrong. So what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to talk bad about you to somebody else and get other people stacked up on their side. See, Saul knows that he's behaving irrationally. Saul knows that he's eyeing David. Saul knows that he's probably uh, full of je- jealousy and envy and all these things. And so what does he do? He gets all of his group together and says, guys, listen, guys, we need to get rid of him. He's trouble. Old David, he's, a, he's, trying, to get my, he's trying to get my throne. Guys, we need to band together against David. Okay, now, unbeknownst to Saul probably was the fact that uh, Jonathan and David had already made a covenant. And Jonathan said, David, I don't care what happens, I'm your friend. And David, it's not about me, it's about you, because that's what true friendship is. And David, I will do whatever it takes to support you and be your friend. That's what real friendship is. All right, so Jonathan now, his friendship is being tested. And what's going to happen, guys and girls, you go back from camp, the friendships that you have with good, godly, real friends in this room will be tested. And just like Satan wanted to get all the disciples one by one and separate them and sift them, so the devil's going to try to pick you off one by one, and there are going to be people that are going to band together against you. Now, what do you do when your friendships are challenged? Remember, the friendships you have at this camp are a main reason why you're going to keep your decision. And so the devil's going to try to break up your friendships. He's going to try to lie about your friend. He's going to try to distance you from your friend. He's going to try to separate you from your friend. Why? Because he knows that if he can get you away from that good, godly friendship, he can probably get you away from God eventually. All right, so Jonathan, what you going to do? I mean, here's Saul. He's telling you, hey, Jonathan, you're my son. I want you to kill David. Now, Jonathan's between a rock and a hard place. He loves Saul. That's his dad. He and his dad have have fought together. He and his dad have have been warriors together. He, He was so happy when his dad became king, and this is his own dad, but this is his best friend. So what happens when two people that you love in your life hate each other? What do you do? That's what we're talking about this morning. What do you do when this friend over here, you love him. He's maybe not right with God, but you love him. This friend over here, he's your your good friend, and he's right with God. What happens when those two people can't stand each other? What do you do as a friend? All right, let's find out what Jonathan did. First of all, I see that he stuck to principle. He stuck to principle. Would you look at verse 2 of our text? He stuck to principle. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning. Abide in the secret place and hide thyself. Saul said, hey, Jonathan, kill David. What did Jonathan do? Jonathan ran to David, said, David, my dad wants to kill you. You better hide yourself what is Jonathan doing? He's sticking to principle. He's not allowing his friendship or his love for Saul or his friendship and love for David to make the decision. What's making the decision is what is right and what is wrong. And obviously, it'd be wrong to murder somebody. It'd be wrong to assassinate somebody, even in their character. And so, I'm going to go tell David what's right. He's stuck to principle in two ways. Uh, first of all, uh, in, in, in light of an unethical command. See, sometimes our friends ask us to do things that are unethical. And the temptation is, because we love our friend, to do it. Okay, I can promise you this is going to happen. You're going to go home from camp, and you're going to be with some friends, and your friends are going to ask you to do something unethical. Hey, guys. Hey, my folks aren't home. You know, let's watch this movie. What do you do? I mean, you want to please your friend. You don't want to be a jerk. You don't really want to watch the movie, but, I mean, you don't want to lose the friendship either. What do you do when you're faced with an unethical command? Uh, you're going to be in the car. And you're going to be on your way uh, home from a youth activity, and you've got the, your four buddies in the car. And what's going to happen? They're going to pop the CD in. Or they're going to turn the, 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 the station And now they're going to say, hey guys, listen to this new song. And you know it's not God honoring. What do you do when you're faced with an unethical command? You've got to stick to principle. You've got to stick to principle. You can't be saying, I want to be light. You can't be saying, well, I just want to ease tensions because after all, I'm trying to reach him. I don't want to be a jerk to Saul. I don't want to be a jerk to my friend, because if I'm a jerk, then I'll never reach him, so I'll just kind of go along with it for now. No, your only job is to stick to principle. And so he stuck to principle in view of an unethical command, and he stuck to principle even when there was unmistakable competition. See, Saul was saying, okay, Jonathan, you choose, me or David. And by the way, that's always a carnal thing when a friend says, if you're going to be their friend, you can't be my friend. That's always carnal. So what do you do when somebody says, hey, it's either me or him. It's either me or her. What do you do when there's an unmistakable competition? You love them both. You stick to principle. What I find in our passage is Jonathan didn't say, dad, you're a jerk. I can't believe you're jealous and and, and this way. And I'll tell you what, I'm on David's team and you can count me your enemy now. There was an unmistakable competition, but I'll tell you what uh, Jonathan endeavored to do. Jonathan endeavored to be what he needed to be for both of them. He didn't compromise his principles, but he desired to be what he needed to be for both of them, sticking to principle. Number two, not only did he stick to principle, number two, he sought to protect he sought to protect. We already read verse 2. He told David, go hide yourself. Look at verse 3. And I will go out and stand be- beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see, that I will tell thee. Hey, David, you go hide. I'll try to get as much information as I can, and when I get more information that would impact, impact your life, I will tell you about it, David. Hey, David, I'm here to protect you. We're like that, remember? I told you I was your friend. I've got your back. That's what true friends do. True friends say, hey, I told you I was your friend. I've got your back. And What's your job as a friend? Your job as a friend is to protect your friend. That's why God gave you that friendship. That's why God brought you into that arena. Your job is to protect your friend. Notice how he protected him. First of all, he protected him by warning his friend. How do you protect your friends? You protect your friends by warning them. Uh, Here's David. There's a danger he doesn't even know about. David, my dad wants to kill you. You better go hide. You realize that sometimes, uh, how many of you have your driver's licenses? Okay, I don't know how they teach uh, the drivers' ed now, but I, when I was back at drivers' ed, they taught us uh, when you're going to make a, a a lane change on the highway. They taught us that there there are three things you do: rear view, side view, head check left. Do they still do that? Rear view, side view, head check left. Now, why? Why do you have three different views? Because when you look at your rear view mirror, you can't see everything behind you. You can see a lot of things. And then you look at your side view mirror, you can see things that you could not see in the, in the rear view mirror. But you know what? The rear view mirror and the side view mirror are not enough. You still have to do a head check left. Now, Why? Because what your driver's ed teacher taught you is that there is a blind spot right back here. That blind spot that your side view mirror doesn't capture, your rear view mirror does not capture, it's a blind spot. And so you have to do a head check left. You know, in, in the Christian life, your friendship is the head check left. There are certain things that you can see, looking in the Word of God and getting good counsel and looking in the side view and looking in the rear view, but it takes sometimes a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It takes a friend sometimes to say, listen, I want to tell you something about your life that you might not see. And let me just say this this morning. Every single one of you, all right, let me put it this way. Every single one of us has blind spots. There are things that are in your life that you can't see, but that a friend can see. There are things in our lives that, that, that exist, that are not right, that we can't even see. And it takes a good friend to say, hey, listen, let me warn you about this. See, that's a friend that's seeking to protect a friend. And so he sought to protect by warning his friend, and he sought to protect by having a willingness to fight. I love that. David, I'm willing to fight for you. Hey, David, my dad's out to get you. He wants me to kill you, but I'm not going to kill you. I would fight for you, David. I will fight for you. And by the way, God give us some friendships that mean enough to us where we're willing to fight for our friends. I had a guy come up to me, member of our church, and this means the world to me. He came up to me and said, Pastor Skelly, I want you to understand something. I love you. I said, thank you, I love you too. And Then he said this. He said, no. He goes, I would die for you. He said, I'd take a bullet for you. I love you, pastor. How do you think I felt going away from that meeting? Man, I'd trust that God with my life. He's willing to fight for me. And by the way, you ought to be willing to fight for your friend. Don't say anything about my friend. That's my friend. I'll fight for your reputation. I'll fight for your testimony. I'll fight for your character, and ne- necessarily, I'll fight for you physically. You're my friend. That's what friends do. They fight for each other. And so he stuck to principle. He sought to protect. Number three, His speech was positive. Look at verse three. I'm sorry, verse four. His speech was positive, and Jonathan spake good. Of David unto Saul his father. Now stop there for a moment. Jonathan spake good. Saul had just said, Jonathan, kill that man. What did Jonathan do? Jonathan did the exact opposite. Not only did Jonathan not kill him, he warned him, but then Jonathan said, Hey, dad, let me talk to you about David. Man, David is a great guy, David is awesome. David loves you, and David loves our country, and David's a good worker, and David delivered us from the Philistines, and David is going to be, David is one of your most trusted allies and dad. See, sometimes what happens is this, okay? You've got, uh, you've got a friend over here who hates the friend over here, and this friend comes to you and says, I can't believe the way they are, and your friend's there, so you say, hey, listen, don't talk about them. That's good. That's a willingness to fight. Hey, don't talk to them. I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to drag them down. I know you don't like them, but I, I, I... That's one thing. That's the absence of the negative. But how about adding to that by saying, hey, listen, not only am I not going to help you kill them, but let me talk to you about my friend. He's a great guy. And he's not perfect. Not, not one of us is, but he loves the Lord. And I love him, and he's my buddy. And uh, if you'd give him a chance, he'd be a good friend to you, too. See, that's being a real friend. His speech was positive. I think sometimes what happens is we get in in situations, and whatever the situation is, that's what we talk about. So when we're with our godly friends, we talk about devotions, we talk about serving God, we talk about good godly things, and we get with the wrong crowd, uh, we kind of talk with them about their interests. And listen, don't be a chameleon Christian. Just decide that when you're with people that are negative, you're going to steer the conversation and you're going to be positive about the things of God. Just take that stand with your speech. His speech was positive in two ways. His speech was positive in David's absence. Have you ever heard these definitions? This is great. Gossip. Gossip is what somebody would say behind your back that they wouldn't say to your face. Flattery. Flattery is something that someone would say to your face, but they wouldn't say behind your back. And see, the thing is, you you need to strive to be truthful at all times. And uh, the best way, the best kind of praise that you can give somebody is not praise to one's face. Like I I could say, uh, where's Lance? I could say, Lance, hey man, Zach, great singing last night. Man, that was awesome. I enjoyed that. Now, that may or may not be sincere, okay? It's not sincere. But, uh, no, no, it is sincere. Uh, that may or may not be sincere, but y- you would know. Maybe I'm just trying to get in with you guys, you know. We're the guys now, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm praising you, okay? But watch this. What if I said, hey, um, Robert, I'll tell you what. Zach and Lance last night, that was awesome, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. And was it Sarah? Michael that sang with him? That was incredible. I I really enjoyed that. Now watch this. Maybe three days from now, Lance is saying, yeah, I I enjoyed singing at camp. And Robert says, yeah, Brother Skelly was talking to me about that. And he told me how much he really enjoyed the way you guys sang. Now, how would that make you feel? Great. That Pastor Skelly was talking to somebody else about what a blessing we were. See, that's real praise. Secondhand praise is real praise. When I'm not saying it to try to get something out of it, I'm saying it to somebody else. And listen, your friendship, I know that you say good things to your friends, but do you say good things about your friends? See, that's real friendship. Real friendship is not me getting you to like me or me saying nice things to you about you in front of you, but a real friendship is when you're not in the room, what do I say about you? Real friendship is when you're not around and someone is criticizing you, what do I do about it? That's real friendship. You know, if we're not careful when our friends aren't in the room and other people are criticizing them or making fun of them or tearing them down, uh, our temptation is not to say anything or even kind of join in. And a real friend is going to speak positively even in a friend's absence. And so the speech was positive in David's absence, and the speech was positive to David's adversary. See, it's one thing for me to speak well of Lance and Zach to Robert, who likes Lance and Zach. They're friends. So it's one thing for me to speak positively to him. But what if I spoke positively about Lance and Zach to somebody that thought their special was stupid? And Lance and Zach, all they ever want, they're always wanting to get up and they're always wanting to be in front of people. They're always trying to show off and they're always the one that gets to sing specials. I can't believe that. Now, if I were to say, hey, listen, don't talk that way. Don't talk that way. You don't know their heart motive. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you Lance and Zach, they're my friends. And I enjoyed the special. And I think that they're serving the Lord. And I think it was a great thing what they did. See, it's one thing for me to speak positively to someone that agrees with me about them. It's another thing for me to say, hey, I don't care what you say about them. I believe in them. They're my friends. And I'm going to speak positively. You see the difference there? David, Jonathan's speech was positive in David's absence and to David's adversary. All right, number four. What else does a friend do in conflict? He sets... The perspective. He tried to help Saul to see the real picture. He set the perspective. Look, please, at verse 4 again. At the end of verse 4. Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his words have been, to thee, thee were very good. He did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord brought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. What is Jonathan doing? Jonathan is taking somebody who's being very negative... Jonathan is taking somebody who's being very vicious, malicious, murderous toward David, and he's saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to stick with principle here. I'm going to keep my speech positive, but to, Dad, I want you to see the big picture. And here's the big picture. You hate David, but David doesn't hate you. You want to kill David, but David wants to help you. And Dad, you think David's a bad guy, but David saved our country. And you were glad about it, Dad, remember? You were jumping up and down, clapping your hands. You wanted him. You invited him to come and serve in this court, and he has served you well. What is Jonathan doing? He's setting the perspective, I think, in two ways. He's setting the perspective, number one, by confronting the sin. Real friends are not afraid to confront friends, loved ones, with their sin. Guys, we talked about that this morning. Real friends are not afraid to confront their loved ones with their sin. Dad, This is his own dad. This is the king. Jonathan says, Dad, you're hating him. He's loving you. Why would you do this sin against David? You want to show me a real friend? You show, show me somebody who's willing to confront somebody with their sin. I had a, a, a friend, have a friend, who worked with me back in Connecticut. He was the administrator of the school. I was a teacher in the school. So he was my boss. He was the coach of the basketball team. Now watch this. He was an incredible coach. I'm telling you, incredible. He was also an incredible dad and Bible teacher. Incredible. I mean, the guy was incredible. His kids, awesome. To this day, awesome. Incredible Bible teacher. I don't know that I've ever heard a better teacher of the Bible than this guy. Incredible. He had one problem. You know what his one problem was? When he would coach a basketball game, he would totally lose it. I mean totally lose it. Like I'm not talking about, you know, come on ref. I'm talking about just lose it. Like uh, stop the game, lose it. Like get kicked out of the game, lose it. Like tell the kids to get out the court we're not playing the rest of this game. I mean, just, he would, something would snap and he would lose it. And everybody knew it and everybody talked about it. And behind his back, everyone talked about, oh yeah, he's a hypocrite. And, yeah, he teaches the Bible. And yeah, he's got these kids in order, but he can't even control himself out on the basketball court. And that hurt me. It hurt me that my friends... We're talking about my friend. So here's what I did. I called him into my classroom. I said to him, I said, listen, after school today, I need for you to meet me in my classroom. He kind of looked at me like, okay. So school was out. and He's the administrator. He walks in my classroom. I said, have a seat. He's looking at me like, Okay. So he sat in a kid's desk right in front of my desk, my teacher's desk. Here's what I said. I called him by name, and I said, listen, you're one of the best dads I've ever met. My wife and I are trying to model our parenting after you. He said, well, thank you. I said, not only that, you are an incredible Bible teacher. I have learned so much just listening to you. I love talking about the Bible with you. He said, I appreciate that. I said, but there's a a problem in your life that is negating both of your strengths. There's something going on in your life right now that is causing people not to consider the fact that you're a great Bible teacher or a great parent, and you're ruining your life. He sat forward a little bit. I said, you don't have the ability to control your anger on the basketball court. And I said, I'm sick and tired of hearing people in our church talk about you. I love you. You're my friend. And as a friend, I'm telling you it's a sin the way you behave. And I'm counseling you. Now, remember, I'm the teacher. He's my boss. I'm counseling you to quit coaching and never coach again. And then I just looked at him. And he just looked at me. After an awkward pause, he said, well, yeah, I mean, I know. I, I get a little bit animated every now and then. I said, hey, listen. I said, I'm your friend. I love you. I've said what I'm going to say. I'll never say anything about it again. I'm telling you what you need to do. You do with it what you want to do. He said, well, I, he goes, I just don't think it's as big of a deal. I said, okay. I said, I've said what I'm going to say. And I thought I I failed. The next day was chapel in our Christian school and as it would turn out he was the chapel speaker that day. We sang the preliminary songs and made the announcements and he got up to preach and here's what he said. He said, "Guys, he's talking to our high school. Everybody in this room knows how I behave on the basketball court. He goes, "I know. I hear the whispers." I know, I know what people say. He said, but until yesterday, nobody had ever confronted me personally about it. He said, but yesterday, a real friend told me about myself, and I didn't like it. And when that real friend told me about myself, I, I didn't even respond correctly to him. But you know what? I went home, and I've thought about it all day. And all night. And effective immediately, today, I resign as the basketball coach of this school. And I will never coach a basketball team again. I believe he saved his reputation that day. Why? Because for once in my life, I did the part of a real friend and a real friend is one that is going to be willing to set the perspective by confronting the sin. Hey, listen, you want to be a real friend after camp? All your friends have told you to hold them accountable? Do it. Do it. Do the hard thing. And Eric, we talked about this, but when, when, when you do slip, and you will, because we all do, and someone comes alongside and says, Eric, then be man enough to swallow your pride and say, there's a real friend who's trying to help me. Set the perspective. Confront the sin. That's what Jonathan did. Not only did he confront the sin, he contextualized the situation. He said, Dad, you're seeing this only through the eyes of jealousy. Dad, you're seeing this as David trying to take your throne. Dad, that's not what's going on at all. David loves you, and David's helping you, and David has saved our nation, and you are glad about it. And dad, let me help you see the real picture. And When you have people in your life that are trying to criticize your friends, or trying to make them out to be something that they're not, it's your job to bring clarity to the situation. All right, lastly, I said number one, he stuck to principle. Number two, he sought to protect. Number three, his speech was positive. Number four, he set the perspective. Number five, he established the peace. Would you look at verse six of our text and we'll be done. Number five, he established the peace. What else did Jonathan do to be a real friend to both his dad and to David? Well, look at verse six. And Saul hearkened Unto the voice of Jonathan. This is the last time in Saul's life that he ever did anything positive. Last time, right here. His son said, Dad, don't think that way. Dad, don't do that. Dad, what you're doing is wrong. Dad, I love you. What did Saul do? Saul said, Yeah, Jonathan, you're right. He listened. And sometimes you'll confront somebody's sin, and like my friend, he'll listen. And Saul hearkened to Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. I'm not going to kill him. Look at verse 7. I love it. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. He established the peace. He made things right between two friends that were at odds by confronting it in the right way. Notice what happened when he established the peace. First of all, he restored David to his place. If you'll do what's right in the friendships of your life, you'll bring people back to the place where they ought to be. He restored David to his place, but watch this. Lastly, he rescued Dad from his punishment. Really, by doing the hard thing and saying what probably... He didn't want to humanly say, by dealing with his own dad and confronting the situation, here's what happened. He rescued his dad from punishment. See, all that would have happened here, God had already chosen David. God wouldn't have allowed David to die. All that would have happened is Saul would have hurt himself. When you play the part of a real friend and you confront somebody about their sin, The Bible says, and when they respond, you are actually rescuing them. Uh, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know. James chapter five. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Don't you realize that when you do the hard thing by confronting a friend, that you're doing the healthy thing by saving somebody from incredible future destruction. Hey, listen, teenagers, let's learn how to be real friends. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.